to you about. Am I on? Am I good? Uh, I fit right in with what I want to talk to you about here this evening. There's a, a lot I really feel like I would like to say, and Pastor asked me to talk a little bit about the college, and I want to do so, um, and then also save some time to preach as well. Um, but I just, sometimes I think the best way to kind of convey uh, what Heartland does is just to share a personal testimony. That's just what I want to do with you uh, here uh, this evening. I uh, grew up in Iowa, and you know, when I graduated from high school, I really had no direction. Went to a secular university and got a degree and started working in the business world. And it was, I mean, it was just, for me, it was, it was empty. I just didn't have any fulfillment in it. And I just got, I'd gotten away from the Lord through college. And you know, I wasn't out doing drugs or, you know, drinking or anything like that. I was just away from the Lord. I was in church, but I was just, I was nominal at best. And uh, just through a series of circumstances, the Lord had really started to work in my life and and show me that I was miserable and uh, that I, I needed some sort of fulfillment. And it was found in him and in a relationship in him. And he moved me to Denver, Colorado, where I worked uh, just at a, an oil and gas company there for about two years. And just through that uh, time, I uh, got started working on my heart about, um, well, it was full-time ministry. I didn't know it at that time, um, but it was. And I, I remember uh, Pastor Miser, who was my pastor at that time, he would preach, and I, I just never heard preaching like that before. And I, I was so convicted about my life and the way I was living that I would go down to an altar and I, I would ask God, would you, would you please call me to the ministry? Um, but then I would, it was like, I'd pray that and then I'd say to God, but I, I know you can't because I've blown it. I've just, I wasted too much of my life. I've gone away from you and, and I know you can't use me. And I, w- I did that for probably a year and a half. I would go to the altar. It seemed like every time the pastor would preach and I would say that same thing to the Lord and, and uh, I, I just thought, God, you, you can't use me. I'm, I'm too far gone. And I, I have to say that I drastically underestimated the grace of God in my life at that time. And just, I uh, was up in pastor's office, Pastor Miser's office one day, and, and he said, college days at Heartland is coming up, and I, I want you to go chaperone the teenagers. And I was, like, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. So got it all clear. And as I was walking out of his office, he said, oh, yeah, and if God does anything in your heart when you're there, why don't you come back and tell me? And in my heart, I laughed, you know, I was just like, God can't use me. Well, when I got there, uh, I mean, I sat through some classes as you would in college days just to get what it, what it feels like to be at Heartland. And it was one of the first classes that I sat in uh, was Gospel's Life of Christ. And it was taught by uh, Rick Williams. I think it was his first or second year teaching it. And uh, the, the lesson was this, basically. Uh, it was the time when Jesus met Peter. And really what he was, he boiled it down to was, was uh, when Jesus met Peter, he said this to Peter. Peter, I, I know who you are, and I know what you've done in your past, but I know what I'm going to make you in the future. And I'm telling you, I was in the back, and I, I started bawling my eyes out, and, and there's some girl in the front, turns around and looks back at me, you know, and in my flesh, I'm like, turn around, lady, you know. But that's what it was. And, and I, from that point on, uh, the next year, I came to Heartland in August, and it was from that point on that God just accelerated a work in my life where he started to weed things out and to reshape my mind and to shape my thinking in ways I can't even describe. And I could really uh, take you to places all over campus at benches and it, at altars in the gym when we were in, meeting in there and now in the chapel. And I could take you to parking places where I would leave chapel and I would go to pull out and God would say, put that back in park because I want to talk to you some more about what you just heard. And we'd, he'd deal with me. 
He would deal with me there in the parking lot. He'd deal with me at altars. I, 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 I can take you to the place where I met my wife. Yeah. It's a wonderful place. She gave me a dirty look at that time, but it was okay. We, it all worked out. So, I mean, I, I can take you to places all, all over the campus where God would work in, in my life. And you say, well, that's great. That's a great testimony. But I want to tell you something. You had a part in it. You. And you think, well, how did I have a part in it? You know, Heartland would not exist without churches uh, like you. And, and it's because you all go and work a job and you work hard and you earn a paycheck and you give. You give to your church. You give to tithe and you give to missions. And, and you might put that in an offering plate and you might go back home and you'll never see that money again. But I'm telling you, as these guys were singing, you saw where your money was going. You know, so I, I just want to encourage you. There's so much more I want to say, but time is truly slipping away from me. And I, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I can't even, I can't even um, accurately describe to you how thankful I am, truly thankful I am for you who, who, who work. And it's like, well, I'm not called to, to full-time ministry. Well, that, that doesn't matter. It has, it has nothing to do with whether you're called to preach or you're called to missions. If, if you go and you work a job, you love the Lord, you serve Him, you come, you come and you meet in the church, you give your tithes, you give your offerings, and, and, and you're faithful here, I'm telling you, you're, you're as blessed. If you're, doing, you're, if you're doing what God has called you to do, you're as blessed as any preacher or as any missionary there is in the world. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to encourage you to say this. Keep doing what you're doing. It's a blessing to us. And I, there's fruit on your account, literally, all over the world. Because you give, and Pastor, through Seeking the Lord, I'm sure, gives money to Heartland that keeps our tuition down to where we can graduate uh, debt-free and go out and serve the Lord. Like Brother Newberger there in the Bronx. Uh, Brooklyn. You're in the Bronx, right? Yeah, <laughs> Brooklyn. So you I, 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 have a part in his life. You have a part in my life, and I'm just saying you have, you have fruit that, that whatever fruit comes out of my life, it's, it's on you in part, as well as other churches. So I just want to say thank you. There's so much more I, I could say and I want to say, um, but from the bottom of my heart, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, church, for, for your love and your support for Heartland Baptist Bible College. Now, I, I truly wish Brother Jet was here. I mean, if you haven't had him preach before, you would love his mix of Bible truth and corny humor. It, it's wonderful, and I, I really wish you all could get... I, I went up and visited him in the hospital today, and it was there. The corny humor was, was still there. It was all over the place. So part of me thinks, ah, he's fine. But uh, he's, he's doing well from what I understand, but uh, let's keep, keep praying for him. So uh, let's get into to the preaching if we could. I want, to, I want you to turn to two passages. Um, Ezra chapter 3. And then the book of Haggai, and we'll be in chapter 2. So once you, why don't you all just stand? I'm not sure your custom here, but if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we're going to start in Ezra chapter 3, and then we're going to um, move over to Haggai chapter 2. If you don't know where Haggai is, go to the book of Matthew, flip backwards three books, and you found it. Ezra chapter 3, we're going to start, I think, um, let's start in verse, let's, let's start in verse number 8. 
Ezra chapter 3, verse number 8 says, Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadek, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of captivity into Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forward the work of the, uh, of the house of the Lord. So they're working on the Lord's house. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his, and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons and, his, and the sons of Judah together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple uh, of the Lord, then set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, this isn't Solomon's temple. This is the temple that came after Solomon's temple, after the captivity. And we'll get into that in the background. But many of the priests and Levites. So, so we've, got people, we've got people shouting. We've got people praising. We've got people um, giving thanks. And then verse number 12 says, But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had, that had seen the first house when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy. So they, these, these ancient men, as the Bible calls them, who once saw Solomon's temple, and now they see the foundation of this temple. Some are shouting. But those who saw Solomon's temple in all its glory are weeping. Verse 13. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout, uh, um, of, the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Turn over to Haggai chapter 2. And this will be our text. So in Ezra chapter 3, we've got some that are excited about what God's doing and some that are not so excited about what God is doing. Haggai chapter 2, verse number 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, uh, the high priest, and and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet it... Yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. That's a lot to take in, but hope, hope we can explain it. I hope it will be a help to you. Can we pray one more time? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being so good to us. I pray that you help me, Lord, to convey um, what you're doing here in this passage. And, and I ask for your help here this morning, God. Please be with me as I convey your word. Help me just to say what you've already said, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated.
Okay. So college days at Heartland Baptist Bible College. It's a time of, of truly of rejoicing and thanking God for what he's done. For what he's done in the past and for what, for what he's doing. And I remember, uh, it, you know, it's just time when uh, all these graduates who are out serving the Lord, doing great, great works, are, are coming back to Oklahoma City and giving a report. Just a time of friends to get back together again. But I remember one year in particular when I was a student, it was in 2010, and you know how things are said and then they're relayed. And you never know if what was, what was relayed to you was actually what was said. And I, I don't actually even know if, if what I heard was accurate. But it, it's what I heard. And regardless, it's, I, I'm pretty convinced it probably wasn't relayed properly. But it's what I heard. And I, I remember somebody had mentioned that a student, of, a graduate of early 2000, came back. And I don't even know who it was. Said something about, man... Um, you know, Heartland is a, a little different than it used to be. It's just not the same. You know, the spirit's changed and you know, God's not doing in this place what he did back when I was a student and just things are so much different now. And, you know, that, that one comment started to spread a little bit. And I remember it, it came to our class and somebody had said, you know, this was, this, this was said. And, and I remember thinking in my heart, I'm like, is that true? No, because truly, in, in my own heart, I don't want to be—I don't want to be a part of anything that's second class. You understand what I'm saying? If I, if I want to do it, I want to do it all out. I want to be 100% in, and I, I want God to be moving, and I want God to be working. And I started thinking in my mind, well, I don't want to be a part of something that's second rate. Why couldn't I have been here back in the early 2000s when God was really moving? But then, you know, it just it came to me, and it was like God brought it to my mind. Well, well, what happened in chapel yesterday, and what happened the week before? And you know that I'm I'm working on you, and I'm working on others, and you know that I'm calling people to ministry, and, and you know that I'm still here in this place. And, and I remember thinking, just kind of snapping out of it, and thinking, you know what? That that's true. That's right. God is working, and, and those comments aren't right. But I remember this this came into my heart, like, well, I, I don't want to be a part of something that that God's not fully a part of. Because those kind of comments can be discouraging. Wouldn't you agree? If somebody says, well, you're not really doing God's work. I mean, you kind of are, but, you know, God's not working in your life like he was back in the good old days. You understand what I'm saying? Those kind of comments can be discouraging. And, and I, I use the word discouraging for a reason, because I think the text is dealing with discouragement. But we have to truly understand, first of all, what discouragement is, because it's not just something that, 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 uh, that happens to you that's bad. It's really what it is. It's, it's coming to the place... When you're ready to quit, coming to the place that you think your work is insignificant or you have expectations and what you're doing is not living up to those expectations. And you're coming to the place where what the Bible calls discouragement and you're ready to quit. Now, those statements can drive somebody to discouragement. See, in a time when there should have been thanksgiving, in a time when there should have been praising, there was a pocket of people who were potentially discouraged because of some untrue, disparaging comments. And there should have been, ought to have been, rejoicing for what God was doing. Now, can I say this? That there is much to be rejoicing over here at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and churches around America. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you've got a church that Jesus established here in, in, in the New York City. I just think that is the greatest 
the greatest thing in the world that you're able to establish, Christ is able to establish his church here in New York City. And you're able to come uh, apart, separate from the world. And you're able to come into this place. And you're able to encourage one another. And you're able to be encouraged by the preaching of God's word. And the singing that, that takes place in congregational singing and special music. You're, you're able to be encouraged and, 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 and come apart from the world in this place. And that truly is. We may not always understand it. But that is a time of, of thanksgiving to the Lord and rejoicing for what he has done. I mean, come on. You have a, a pastor that loves you. And, and a church family that loves you. Uh, you, you've got all that God that you need right here in this church, and, and it's a time of rejoicing at the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. But wouldn't you agree that while it is a time of joy, rejoicing, there's always a, chance, a, a tendency to compare what's happening somewhere else to what is happening here, maybe in previous generations. It, it could be that there's a tendency of an older generation to think that the work that, that is going on here in this building is insignificant compared to what happened back in the good old days, back in the 1950s and the 60s and such as that. Now, I'm, I'm very thankful for what God did in those days and, what, and, and how they just they, they brought the gospel down through and they handed it off to us. And we've got a, a, the pure Bible and the, and the pure gospel. I'm, I'm thankful for what God did in those generations. But I'm just saying it's possible. That, that there are some here that could be given some disparaging, discouraging comments to this previous generation. And said, yeah, yeah, okay, I know. There's people that come in, but you should have been there in my day when God was really moving. Or it could be that, that you were once a part of a bigger ministry and where God was truly, quote, truly working. And, or, or there was a bigger congregation and now you're here and you're thinking, well, God just isn't doing as much here as what he did at that point. And I'm telling you, even you could be discouraged. Or you, or you could say, the ministry that I'm doing here in this world, the city, is, it's so big and it's so large. And I, I'm just like, I'm just one person or we're just one church or just a few churches here in the city. And it's like God isn't really doing anything. What's my purpose? Why, am I, why do I even tell people about Jesus? And why do I live a separated life? And wh- why am I doing what I'm doing? And it could be that you're at this place where you're discouraged and you're, you're, you're thinking about giving in. You're thinking about quitting and, and just kind of melding in with the culture and not standing out, not being the salt and light that he's called us to be. It could be that because uh, you're comparing what God has done in the past with what God is doing now or with what God did at one church with what God is doing at your church. And it could be that you're at the place now where you're saying, why, why am I even doing this anymore? Why am I doing this? Why am I serving the Lord in this way? Why am I witnessing? Why do I go out in the corner and pass out tracks? It's like it doesn't work. It's like people don't want it. They just laugh or they, they don't take it or they take it and they, I see it curled up on the street just a, a, a couple feet down the road. Why am I doing this anymore? And you're at the brink of discouragement. And you're at the place where you're thinking, this work, well, it doesn't work anymore. And if you find yourself in this position, I want to tell you something. That God has some encouragement for your discouragement. And that's the title of the message today. God's encouragement for discouragement. Now, if I, uh, we got we to do a little bit of background work in, the, in this book here, because I, I'm sure that some understand where we're at in this book of Haggai, but there's probably some that don't. So stick with me while we just try to blaze through some of the background. Uh, you know, the book of Haggai was, um, it, it, it's a powerful book, but it, it's written after the time of Israel's captivity. So I don't think I have to do much work to, for you all to agree that Israel was a rebellious nation at one point. They were. Well, they were actually a, a rebellious nation for centuries because God had sent his prophets to them and he had given them his word and 
And, and they rejected their word and he killed their prophets and they, they stoned his prophets and they didn't want what he had said. So he said, because of these actions, I'm, I'm going to sell you into captivity for 70 years. And through the book of Jeremiah, he said through the prophet Jeremiah that I'm going to put you into captivity. But I want you to understand something. That's not the end of Israel because I have a plan for Israel. And after 70 years, I'm going to raise up a man by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia. And he, I'm going to put it on his heart to let you go back to Jerusalem and build my house. Because what had happened was Nebuchadnezzar, when he came in, he, he, he took out Israel, he, he killed many of them, he wiped out Solomon's temple, this beautiful, glorious temple there in Jerusalem, and it was laid waste. Well, these 70 years had passed, and sure enough, God raised up a man by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, and it was after that 70th year, in the first year of Cyrus's reign, that he, God put it on his heart to let the people go, because God said he would, and he did. So... Cyrus says to Israel, he says, all of Israel, whoever wants to, whoever wants to go back to Jerusalem, go. You're free to go. I'm giving you funds. I'm giving you money. I'm giving you the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple. I'm raising money out of your own people. Whoever chooses to stay here and not go, I want you to give to your own people so they can go back and build God's house. And he gave them all the funds. He gave them all the resources. He gave them the vessels. And some 50,000 with servants went back to Jerusalem and they started to build God's house. They actually built up altars and they started making sacrifices again. And as we read there, they were singing praises in Ezra. They were singing praises and thanksgiving unto God. And they, in the second year, the Bible says that they laid the foundation of the temple. But it's just like the adversary when God's people get back to work, that he's going to send somebody in to stop it. And that's what had happened. Because there was people there in Jerusalem that actually when they came out, when they were taken into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar left the poorest of the Jewish people there to work the fields. Well, over these 70 years, these Jewish people, they started to marry uh, with pagan people, and they're now called the Samaritans. You probably have heard that term, and you know the name, Samaritans. And you know also that the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. Because the Samaritans were half Jew, half-breed Jews, and they didn't want anything to do with them. Well, these, the Samaritans came up to uh, Israel and they said, we want to build God's temple with you because we're just like you and our worship is like you. And, and Israel rightfully said, no, you're not like us. You, you don't worship like we worship. You're a pagan people. You, you have a form of Jehovah worship, but you don't worship like we do. And the same is true today that doctrine divides. Isn't that true? That doctrine does divide. And they said, we can't fellowship with you. We can't be with you. You can't take part in our work because you're not like us. Well, they didn't like it. So the Bible says that the Samaritans frustrated their purpose. They made it hard and they made it difficult on Israel. And not only did they do that, but the Bible says that they sent letters back to the king, who now Cyrus had died and Artaxerxes the king is there on the throne. And they sent letters back to him and said, listen, Artaxerxes, Cyrus let these people go back and build, build God's house, but these people are a rebellious nation. If they build this temple... They're going to build a wall. They're going to rebel against you. You're going to have problems on your hand. They're not going to pay you tribute. I'm telling you, check the record books. And they did. So they checked the record books. And Artaxerxes looked, and sure enough, he found the record books of the nation of Israel. And they were at one time a strong nation, a powerful nation, a rebellious people, so to speak. And he said, well, send this letter back to him. And they sent the letter back to him. And the letter contained the words, the work of the Lord must stop. Stop working on God's house. And they did. 
And for 16 years, these, these Jewish people had stopped the work on the house. Well, another king, Darius was his name, after these 16 years, was now on the throne. And wanting to secure the goodwill of the people, he said to them, I'm lifting the ban that Artaxerxes gave you. You can once again work on God's house. 16 years. Being dormant. The problem was that now that they had the freedom to work on God's house... They just didn't want to. I mean, they had the freedom to do God's work, but they didn't want to do God's work. And the Bible says in chapter 1 that really what they had done was they had shifted their, their focus. Because God's agenda was this. I want you to build my house, and, and I, want, I want you to build my work, do my job. But they had shifted their focus, and the Bible says in chapter 1 that they shifted it to their own houses. Because the people would say, God said, now, the, the ban is lifted, now go do my work. And the people gave this excuse. They said, it's not time. The time has not come. The time of the Lord's house should be built. It's not time to do God's work. The political climate isn't right. The funds aren't there. And they gave her every excuse under the book. But God said, his agenda was the same. He said, I want you to build my house. And he says to them, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and my house lie waste? And he just starts ripping away at their excuses. They're saying, we can't, we can't give. We can't do the work. We can't take the time that God's given us and use it on his house because, you know, well... It's just not time. And they shifted their attention. They shifted their agenda from from what God wanted them to do to their own physical houses. And that's why God sent in this prophet Haggai. And he sent them in to to shake them up to get back to work. And that's what happened. I mean, he shook them up. He he said, you sow much. They would go out in the field and and they would sow and and they would would, uh, tear up the ground and they would plant and they would try and reap their harvest. And they would put all this labor and all this effort into building their crop and to getting money. And he said, you sow much, but you gain little. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You're hungry, but there's none full. You're clothed, but but you're... You're still cold. There's none that are warm. He said, you put your money into a bag with, you put your money into a bag with holes. It's like they put all their money into a bag and they, and they opened it up expecting this much and there was this much. God said, I blew upon it. God took credit for it. He said, wait a minute, the, the reason that you, you go to your bag of money or the reason that you go to your crops and you're expecting this much and you have this much is because I blew upon it. He took credit for it. God just exhaled and said, and gone. And they're like, what? All the, all the effort, all, all the labor that I put into this and there's, there's nothing there. He said, why? Why would God do such a thing? He said, because every man runs to their own house and my house lays waste. He said, you know my agenda. My agenda was the same 16 years ago. It was go up to the mountain, get wood, build the house. That's what I told you to do. That's what you're not doing. So now that you're trying to focus on your own material gain, and, and, and what I'm going to do is blow upon your material gain. And that's what he told them. And he sent them in for that purpose and shook them up. And now we have this rebellious nation who has heard God's word and for centuries they have disobeyed God's word. But in verse number 12 in chapter 1, they got it. I mean, they nailed it. The Bible says that they obeyed the voice of the Lord. They, they, they heard God's prophet and they obeyed God's voice and they said this as though God was speaking. They understood that this prophet who came in and just and, and was just snarling mad, so to speak, and shook up their world. It wasn't his own opinion. It wasn't something that he just concocted in his own mind. No, friend, they, they understood something, that these are the words of God. And the Bible says that they obeyed. 
And when they obeyed, in verse number 14, it says that God says this, I am with you, saith the Lord. That's it. Because they obeyed God's word, to, fo- to focus on his house, they obeyed, and God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assure you of my presence. And I'm going to assure you of my presence through uh, my word and through your work. And they, the Bible says that in verse number 14 and 15, that the Spirit of the Lord just stirred them all up. And they started to do God's work once again. Now, friends, this is important because when, when they obeyed God is when God started to stir them up and they started to do God's work. And I'm talking, I mean, they, they really got to work, the Bible says. And there was like some sort of mini revival. But wait, we already talked about how that when, when uh, God's people start doing God's work, the adversary comes and he doesn't care. The adversary doesn't care how he gets one to stop their work. He just wants them to stop. And he doesn't care if it's through lethargy and apathy. And he sure, uh, sure doesn't care if it's through discouragement. And here they are in chapter 2, in a time when they should have been rejoicing over what God was doing, and now they find themselves discouraged because uh, they were comparing what, what, what Solomon's temple was like with what their temple is like. Because we read in, cha- in Ezra chapter 3 that the older generation was groaning and they were wailing because the work that they were working on seemed insignificant as to what they had done. Well, what do you mean that they were supposed to be rejoicing? Well, the date here suggests that it's the Feast of the Tabernacles, a time when there should have been rejoicing over what God had done in, in, in Egypt and bringing them out of captivity and how he showed them how I, I'm with you and how they crossed the Red Sea and how he showed himself mighty and he brought them across the, the wilderness and, and, and he protected them and he fed them and he, and he took care of them. They were supposed to look back this this week-long festival, they were supposed to look back at what God had done and give thanks and rejoice for what he did then and for the crop that they had now. And it was supposed to be a time of rejoicing. But ultimately, what they found themselves doing was being discouraged because they were comparing Solomon's temple, the great and glorious Solomon's temple, with this temple, which seemed to be insignificant in the eyes of the people who were working on it. Well... These people now are discouraged. And they're wanting to quit God's work once again. So what does God say to his discouraged people? Look at verse number four. He says this. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work. That's what he tells them. He tells them, listen, I understand that you're discouraged, but here's what I want you to do. Get back to work. (laughs) That's a bummer almost, isn't it? That's God's encouragement to his people. Like, wait, I want to quit and you're telling me to get back to work? Personally, I like the discour- I like the encouragement that God gave Elijah. You know, when he was when he was discouraged because he thought he he, he was the only one serving God, and he's up there having a, a sort of speak a pity party, and, he, and he's up there like God kill me now. And, and what God does to him is he he feeds him and then tells him to take a nap. That's my type of encouragement. I want to sleep. I want to eat. <laughs> I'm going to gorge myself. But that's not what he tells him here. He says, okay, so you're discouraged and you want to quit. The work is hard. It seems as though it's insignificant. It seems as though you're just one person in a a city so huge. Great. Well, be strong and get back to work. Yeah. Be strong and get back to work. 
The word be strong, I love this word. It means this, to fasten upon, hence to seize, to bind together. It gives the idea of this, as one becomes stronger as it binds itself to the other. Okay, so I was at a uh, MRI, the MRI back in Oklahoma City, and a question was in a Let's Talk session. They were asked, you know, when, when you, in the ministry, you find yourself dry, and it's just like you got nothing left, you know, what, what do you do? And he thought for a little bit, and he said, you know, what I, what I, I felt myself going through that here recently. So what I did was I joined the jail ministry. And I'm telling you, spiritually perked him right back up is what he said, ultimately. What did he do? Well, he got to work. And he bound himself to do what God had told him to do. And when he bound himself to it, the Bible says that he got, he, he got strong. He, he, he got to work, and because he got to work... He was strong. And I want to say this. God's encouragement for discouragement works. Like, well, yeah, I know God, whatever God wants to do to encourage somebody, it, it always works. God, God's way is always right and it works. No, I'm saying this. That when you're discouraged, God says get to work. He, he says do, do what I told you to do. And, and, and he says go, go, go out and, and win souls. Go out and pass out tracts. I want you to go knock on doors if you can do that. I want you to stand at a corner and continue to pass out tracks. I, w- I want you to do what I've told you to do. I want you to build my house, so to speak, because that's what we're dealing with in the text. He says, I want you to get back to work. Build my house is what he says. So that means if you're here and it's like, why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm just one person in, in this massive city. It's like my work is insignificant. It's like it it doesn't matter anymore. What does it matter if I just slide off into the culture and just become like them? Why do I go to church on Thursdays? And and why do I do what I do? Why? And you're at that point now where you're ready to quit. Well, God says, be strong. Keep doing what I told you to do. Because what I told you to do is get to work. Yeah. Get to work. Because it's not up to us to manufacture results. Isn't that true? Because we can get discouraged because we don't see the results. We don't see the fruit. And it's like, well, I'm not even, this doesn't even matter. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter that I'm going out and serving. Well, can I ask you something? What does it matter if we get fruit or not? God has told us to get to work, and that's all that matters. Because it's not up to us to manufacture results. It's not up to us to say, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to win a thousand souls. Well, good luck with that. I hope that happens. I, I hope that, that happens to every person here. But if it doesn't, God's command is still the same. Get to work. Yeah. That's what he says. Get back to work. Part of me thinks, my soul. It's like God just stands aside and his child is, is discouraged and ready to quit. And it's like he said, get back to work. And pushes him out there in the street and says, I told you to go. Well, that's not the God to be served. Why would he do such a thing? Okay, look at this. So he tells them, verse number four, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, and work. Why is he telling them to work? Look at the rest of it. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Wait a minute. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Okay, let's deal with those two portions. He says, I, I want you to get back to work. I know you're discouraged, and I, I know you're tired. I, I know it seems like what you're doing is insignificant in this world, but I'm telling you this. 
get back to work because I'm with you. I'm with you right now. And then he says this, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, he said, I am with you today, just like I was with you when you came out of Egypt. What do you mean, Egypt? When he separated the Red Sea and they came across and when he fed them with manna and he showed himself mighty in ways that just could blow a man's mind. He says, wait a minute. I know that what you, what you think you're doing is insignificant, but I am with you today, just like I was with you back then in Egypt. And then he goes on into this section where you, you read it where he says, I'm, I'm shaking all nations and I'm shaking taking this and that, you, you can study it out later. But what he's talking about is a time that is yet future for the nation of Israel. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. And it's when Jesus himself will come down on earth and he will sit on the throne of the temple. He'll sit on that throne. And it'll be a wonderful, glorious time. And he's talking about a time that is yet future for the nation of Israel. And here's what he's saying to Israel. I'm telling you to get back to the work. Get back to work because I am with you today, just like I was with you in the past, and just like I'll be with you in the future. Come on now. That is good. That is good. Because God has a purpose for his people and he's got a plan for the nation of Israel. Well, I can tell you this today, that, that, that you today are, are here. And if you're discouraged, I can tell you this. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Spirit of God that dwells within you and God is your Father, God is with you today. He's with you in the work that you're called to do. That's encouraging. That's an encouragement that, that God is, is with us. And can I tell you this, friends? He, he's with you now, just like he was with those that went before. Just like he was with the men of, of the 50s. And just like he was men of, with the men of the 1800s and 1700s. And just like he was with Paul. And just like he was with Moses and Abram and Isaac and Jacob. And just like he was with all those men. I'm telling you, he's with you today. And he will also be with you in the future. Because there's coming a day when we're going to be with him, to be honest with you. But there's, there's not going to be a time in your life, if you trusted Jesus as your Savior, that you can say, I'm at this alone, and God's just kicked you out back out to the work and said, go out and serve me. No, friend, that's not the way he works. I'm telling you this. He is with you. He's with you today. Just like he's been with others and you in the past. You can say, yeah, but I, I want results. I'm, I'm telling you, if, if the presence of God isn't enough in your life, results won't be. You understand? A thousand souls won't be enough if the presence of God isn't enough. I just want to encourage you in this way. That continue the work that you're doing. Continue the work that God has called you to do. Because according to his word, he's with you. He's with us. So please, continue on in the work. So would you all stand? I'm going to have a word of prayer and then I'm going to turn it over to Brother Montoro. And I'll let him take it from here. Father, I'm thankful for you and for your word. I thank you for truly being with us. And thank you so much for allowing us to be involved in your work and being able to serve you in the way that you've called us to serve you and first of all saving us lord that's the greatest thing lord i'm so thankful for our salvation and that after salvation we can work for you and the fact that you are with us even today right here in in this city and in our our homes god you're with us so we thank you for it lord, i pray that this will be a help and encouragement to your people we love you and thank you for all that you've done it's in jesus name i pray amen